Welcome everybody. This is the Swoonworthy podcast. And today we're going to talk about a completely swoonworthy topic, Cinderella. We're going to talk about all the Cinderella adaptations over the years from Ever After starring Drew Barrymore to Rodgers and Hammerstein's Cinderella starring Julie Andrews and then later Brandy Norwell. But yeah, let's get started with Ever After a Cinderella story from 1998 because I know that one is a huge favorite of our followers and people that are our age it is i didn't actually realize just how popular it was until recently i thought it was kind of a hidden gem but it's definitely got a cult following i would say i yes exactly it's definitely got a cult following and last year was the 25th anniversary of the movie and drew barrymore herself on her talk show she invited her co-stars on the show and it was really good. I encourage everyone to watch it. It's on YouTube and on the Drew Barrymore, Drew Barrymore's website. It's just something, there's something special about it because in so many of these Cinderella stories, there's a, an actual magical element to it. So you have your fairy godmother, the transformation of the pumpkin and into the carriage and the slippers and all that and the dress. So what they did with Ever After that's so unique and refreshing is they put a historical time period around the fairy tale. It's set in 16th century France and features real historical figures. So the Prince Henry of the story is actually Henry II of France. And we have Leonardo da Vinci and Leonardo da Vinci in this tale actually kind of takes place of, uh, takes the place of the fairy godmother. So we'll talk about that a little bit more earlier on in the beginning of the movie, the opener of Ever After, we have the Brothers Grimm and the Brothers Grimm and Charles Perrault, they wrote the fairy tales themselves. So it's kind of cool to have this historical context around the Cinderella story. I actually never put my finger on that before. That's really cool. Like, I think that's why this has such a big connection to people like millennials is because she's relatable you know she's not this isn't some supernatural mystical right magic filled story it's like it's a real girl played by drew barrymore who's she's so beautiful and wonderful and but she's also relatable you know and i think that's why this is connected with so many people and i didn't really think i I don't know why i never really thought about how there's no like magic in it and yeah all the other ones yeah No, but that's exactly it. You don't even notice that there's no, you know, actual magic in it because it's got such a magical feeling to it. It just feels magical. You get the vibes of, you know, magic and transformation and beauty. You know what it is? It's the magic of the millennium. (laughs) That's coming through full force. (laughs) You just love how this is set like in, or not set, but filmed in the late 90s yeah like honestly if I could go back in time and I was (laughs) like this age in the millennium when it was about to turn 2000 I would throw an ever after themed party yes that'd be so much fun you guys let's get together and we're gonna throw a big ever after party it's gonna be great (laughs) well you know and back to that time I had the the glitter you know makeup for around my eyes and I think that's actually back in style now but yeah Oh yeah. Everything nineties is back in style. Full force. (laughs) Okay. So I think we, I think we kind of hit the nail on the head there. That's why it's 
magical and it's the historical context. And then Kayla's point about it being set at an interesting time period where 90s movies, 90s period dramas had a magical quality to them before the turn of the millennium. <laughs> and the party. Don't forget the party. Gotta get the party going. Um, <laughs> so back on the historical thing. So Leonardo da Vinci, I think he's at the beginning of the story and he even has the Mona Lisa. That's where Prince Henry and da Vinci meet is Prince Henry saves the Mona Lisa, which is kind of a cool element. And then fast forward to the end of the story, da Vinci painted our Danielle, our Cinderella, played by Drew Barrymore, and they actually based that painting off a real da Vinci painting called The Head of a Woman. And it has this lovely Italian name I'm not even gonna try to pronounce. Um, and so if you look at that painting in real life, it's so beautiful and you can just picture how they you know, made it actually Drew, Barry's, Drew Barrymore's face in the movie. I just love it. No, yeah, it adds such a cool touch to the film and it makes it even more magical. Other cool elements of this movie, I mean, they they filmed in the Dordogne region of France. And I think if you watch the Drew Barrymore talk show, you, they talk about how they were filming in France and they were living together. And this, and I'm talking about the sisters. So Megan Dodds as Marguerite and Melanie Linsky as Jacqueline. Yeah, so apparently they were really close and they're still best, like best friends. I love that. I think yeah. that's so cute. That's cute. <laughs> and... You know, they filmed in all these chateaus in France and the ruins of Amboise is an actual place too. That's where Henry and Danielle meet when she's about to, she's going to try to, you know, tell him the truth and he kisses her and, you know, yeah. Can we so, talk about the prince a little bit? Because he's very, very swim moving. Okay, let's talk about it. So do Gray Scott, and I don't think I've seen him in anything else. And I kind of sometimes like that when there's just an actor who just plays one role, because then in my head, it's like, that's that person. Like they embody that character so well. And I just, I don't know. That's so true. <laughs> but I feel like in that time period too, there was like Brendan Fraser and the mummy and like these like really swimworthy men who were like, I don't know. I was going to say that someone like that comes to mind is the actor in the brandy version of rogers and hammerstein's cinderella i love that version also and i know who you're talking about the actor paolo montalban i think that's how i pronounce his name just that movie and he is just the perfect prince i love him in that movie with brandy they're so cute together well because you know that movie was actually just the year before this so Rodgers and Hammerstein's TV movie by Disney of Cinderella starring Brandy and Whitney Houston. That was in 1997. And then Ever After is 1998. Oh, wait, that was a TV movie? I thought that was like a major feature film. No, that I believe it was just a TV movie. We had it on VHS. I just don't understand because it's so epic. <laughs> I don't know if it went to theaters. Well, the whole um, history behind... And now we're digressing from Ever After. We will come back to Ever After, everybody. But we got to talk about Roger and Hammerstein now. So the whole thing is that back in 1957, they decided to put on this TV telecast by CBS of the musical version of Cinderella. And they cast Julie Andrews as Cinderella. And this is in the 50s. Over 100 million people tuned in on their television to watch Julie Andrews as Cinderella. 
that's crazy that everyone was watching that at that time period. So there's this whole history of doing the Cinderella by Rodgers and Hammerstein on TV because they also did it again in 1965 starring Leslie Ann Warren. And you can watch this one on Amazon Prime, I believe, or it's definitely streaming and it's a cute version too. So there's been three musical versions on TV. Oh, I did not realize that. Well, because, you know, we grew up with the Brandy one. Like we watched that a lot growing up. I remember. Oh, it, yeah, I have a little special crevasse in my heart for it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> is a crevasse like a vase? Like what is it? It's a little tunnel in the heart. <laughs> Okay, Carly, let's go back to Ever After because it's just so memorable and it deserves more of our time. Fair enough. Yeah, so let's let's talk about why it's so memorable um, and, and the effect it's had on us. So even in the beginning, the, when Danielle is a little girl and there's that scene where, you know, she's explaining to her stepmother that when when they leave, when someone leaves the house, they always, you know, wave at the gate and- you know that we've adopted that. So yeah, like we literally do it every single time we part ways because you live all the way in New Jersey. I do. And our house in Texas will be, you know, saying goodbye to each other, driving off. And my mom and you and my dad will all just, one of us will stand in the the front yard and wait, and then we'll drive down the driveway and turn. (laughs) You and I know what we're doing. And I think they just do it because they are sad that we're leaving. Oh, <laughs> well, we, okay. Well, we get the reference. We get the reference. Um, the costumes are just completely memorable. They're designed by Jenny Beaven, who's a three-time Oscar winner and such a fan. I mean, she does period dramas. So she did sort of the Merchant and Ivory movies all the way up to Cruella. Yeah. I mean, Jenny Beaven is just fantastic as a costume designer. One of my favorites. Like I think about these dresses that Danielle wears all the time she wears that oh it's your Roman empire (laughs) yes so she wears that green and gold one when she first meets the prince prince Henry and she talks about utopia the book with him and that's a borrowed dress but she looks beautiful in it anyways it's just kind of a little loose on her and oh and the hair too oh my gosh I'm getting excited again um and then she wears a I call it like an icy blue dress when she goes on her date with Prince Henry to the library. And that's when he they really fall in love, I feel like. Then we have the dress. The millennium. <laughs> Some people refer to it as the just breathe dress. Oh my gosh. Yes. I never thought of it that way, but she does say just breathe. Oh, I love it. That moment is the most swoon-worthy moment of the movie. So that dress, it's like iridescent, white, silver, maybe off-white with Swarovski crystals in it as well. I love the the jewels on her, like the glitter on her face and everything. Mm -hmm. And of course she's wearing the wings. So this is the the fairy godmother element. So Leonardo da Vinci um, will, you know, frees her (laughs) from her sort of cage, I guess she's in. I don't know what you want to call it. And then she's like, I need something to wear. And then they're like, oh. (laughs) I just realized that this whole story, like if you told someone about the story, it would sound like a dream. Like you're telling it. So Leonardo da Vinci, he freed me from the closet and I ran down and (laughs) it just 
sounds like you're telling me your dream. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Maybe I am telling you my dream. No. And she says to Da Vinci, a fish may love a bird, senor, but where would they live? And then he's like, then I shall have to make you wings. And he He's an inventor in this and he makes her wings. So she okay, looks like Carly, a... that was a weird dream you had. <laughs> so she looks like a beautiful fairy princess butterfly. And yeah, that dress is just it is what dreams are made of, this dress. The wings, the glitter of the shine to her face is subtle yet impactful. And then her hair, it looks like a halo wrapped around her hair, and then the wings. They look like a cross between a fairy and an angel. And then the dress is regal and yet elegant. Yes. And and did you know that this masquerade ball that they're attending, if you zoom in on the invitation in the movie, it actually says that it's taking place on October 28th to celebrate the Feast of St. Jude. So it's kind of like fall. I think of it as like Think of your Halloween party. (laughs) So I love how they're all dressed as, you know, different animals. And to me, I've always thought of her outfit as kind of a butterfly, but then you just mentioned it does have like more of a kind of an angel quality to it. Yeah. I think it's supposed to represent a few different things for sure. Just something ethereal. And in that scene, we have to talk about some of the other costumes. So um, we, we have to talk a little more about Angelica Houston in a moment, but <laughs> the Baroness is wearing that those horns, like a horned headdress, and she looks like Maleficent to me. No, yeah, she does. She wears a lot of headdresses, and they're they're all beautiful. And to me, they look authentic for the time period. And then we have Marguerite dressed as a peacock, and she's got that. It's a royal blue, and you know she's wearing a headdress as well, and it's jeweled, and it's just it's so fitting for her character. I love it. And then Jacqueline. Is dressed as a horse. She gets the horse costume, but I think she rocks it and she meets her horse partner. So it works, but I love the whole ball scene and it's, it's like an outdoor ball. It's just beautiful. Angelica Houston is phenomenal in this role. I think she's probably my fa- favorite as much as I love Kate Blanchett. I do. And I think she's perfect. But I think Angelica Houston as the Baroness, to me, is the perfect Cinderella evil stepmother. Do you agree? Yes. I love Angelica Houston so much. She is such a joy to watch, even though she usually plays, you know, kind of uncomfortable characters, I guess you could say. But she <laughs> she's so many iconic lines in this movie, like, who could love a pebble in their shoe? Yeah. And that's just one. Like, there's so many. Yeah, I really love all her little one-liners. But another one I really like is, darling, nothing is final until you're dead. And even then, I'm sure God negotiates. (laughs) (laughs) She's so cutthroat. But I think that she's also very, you know, you can see she's pretty vulnerable underneath, too. Like in the beginning when the father is passing away in front of them all and he looks at Danielle instead of her and you just see her face change and she's just super jealous of that relationship. I mean, she must've been very insecure in it. And then there's the scene where she's um, getting her hair brushed by Danielle 
And she kind of opens up a little bit. She talks about how she had a strict mother who made her wash her face 20 times a day and it was still not right. Like you have to wonder what her childhood was like and why, how she came to be that cruel and mean. Hurt people, hurt people. There you go. But yeah, she just has so many great one-liners. I have to wonder, like, do you know anything about who wrote this the script because I think they did a phenomenal job. Yeah. So I think the director, Andy Tennant, is also a writer on this, as well as Susanna Grant and Rick Parks. I have a question. Who do you think that the Baroness and Marguerite got their um just desserts in the end? Do you think that they do you think they got a punishment that fit the crime? I mean, I think as Danielle said, I only ask that you treat them the way that they treated me. Or is that how she said it? Yeah, I think so. Okay, so you think that's, they got their... Well, no, I mean, she's being the bigger person. Like, I think anybody else that wasn't as kind-hearted as Danielle would have probably sent them to the guillotine or whatever. But <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, at the end of the day, she's a very wonderful lady and she's very forgiving she wouldn't be cinderella if she weren't you know kind and compassionate even in dealing out punishments i want angelic houston to be in more roles she's she's one of my favorite actresses honestly yeah no she's great i love her as morticia adams and in she's in some of the wes anderson movies too we have to talk about the prince a little bit more i mean we didn't really gush over do gray scott but i think he's just the perfect prince and he but he's very real because he's quite stubborn in the beginning he he's a bit um a bit of a spoiled brat too and but he's willing to learn and he's willing to um you know be changed by by the woman he falls in love with yeah he is definitely a little spoiled but uh danielle challenges him Mm-hmm. that no one else has I think he's had a bunch of yes men around him his whole life and so when she comes into the picture and makes him think about things in different ways he he's just enamored by her and I love when they're in the library and he just kind of I think he looks a little troubled and then she asks him what's wrong and he's like I've never in all of my years of studying I've never had an instructor with as much passion as you have shown me in the past two days like she's he's just he's fallen in love with her mind as well as her pretty face <laughs> and he, she can rescue him she can rescue that's another part of the story because a lot of times with Cinderella people they're kind of hard on Cinderella they think you know she's not a strong you know role model she's kind of you know someone you shouldn't look up to, but I, I disagree. I think that even in the animated version of Disney and in, in some of these other adaptations, you know, she is a strong young woman and she will stick up for herself a bit. Um, she's under horrible circumstances, but I think Drew Barrymore's version as Danielle, as Cinderella just really captures that strong female empowerment lead just so much like she can rescue herself. She can rescue the prince. She can throw him over her shoulder and walk away <laughs> and save him. So, yeah, I like how they added that in this in this 
version. Um, but yeah, I think in general, Cinderella represents, you know, something that so back what you said about how some people think that, you know, Disney princesses and Cinderella aren't role models to young women. But I, I mean, I just don't really agree because I think Cinderella represents, you know, a true feminine spirit and energy. And I think that she, even though she was faced with, you know, obstacles in her life and people that, you know, didn't wish her well, she stayed true to herself and she rose above it. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, she got, you know, she got the castle she got the title she got the prince she got the glass slipper <laughs> she got she got everything she didn't just get the prince so at the end of the day she gets to call the shots she changes her life really she changes her own life and i totally agree with everything you just said i think of it as a true princess a true queen would lead with their heart and not you know always just thinking of fighting <laughs> and going to war so i don't know i think I think it's nice to see this, uh, see this story played out. Yeah, I mean, every kingdom needs not just a, a, a masculine, you know, war fighting prince. They need a loving, and nurturing queen or princess to balance everything out. There you go. I would not want to live in a kingdom without a princess or a queen that was, that had courage and was kind. Oh, I love that. Yes. <laughs> and, but you know, she can, her, her father taught her how to use a sword well too. So she can, you know, protect herself. And yeah. So I think Drew Barrymore's version, I mean, oh, and in some movies, they're very like, they kind of throw something in there about, you know, you know, oh, this person can also fight and be, this and that. I don't know. It just seems so natural in this story. She's strong and authentically, you know, a good role model. Even though they had to use wires to help her carry him. <laughs> <laughs> we did learn if you watch Drew's talk show that they hoisted it up, but I didn't, I know, no. good Not, editing. <laughs> yeah. I never noticed that at all. I thought Drew Barrymore was really wasting them up. <laughs> Do you think that if Danielle had been able to tell Prince Henry her true, you know, name and background when they were talking before the ball at the ruins at Amboise, do you think that he would have accepted her as she was? Do you think he would have, how do you think he would have reacted? Cause we don't get to see that because she goes to tell him and then he kisses her and that doesn't end up happening. I know. And then she doesn't, he doesn't find out until the ball. Mm -hmm. So that's a good question. I, what would he do? I think he would have been upset at first, kind of just like how he was. But then I think he would have come to his senses and realized that, you know, it just happened that way and they're meant to be together. What do you think? I think he would have freaked out like he did because he thought of Danielle as very honest and true, but then, you know, she had given him a false name. She had given him her mother's name, Comtesse de Lancre, and not Danielle. And I think she would have been, he would have been a bit taken aback. I can see him going back home and talking to his parents about it because 
it's his mom that I think really makes him see the light because she says, it's a strong woman who can keep her wits about her with you trying to steal her heart. So like, I think, I don't know. I think after some thought and deliberation, like you said, he would have forgiven her. It was just a shame that it happened at the ball in such a public display and uh, the tearing off of the wings. I just, ugh, I hate that scene. Um, I really love the dresses in this movie, not just the ball gown that she wears, but all of them. I noticed they have this puffy long sleeve kind of kind of style to it and you just don't see that often in any type of period film do you what's the what's it called like what's that about yeah so that's called um well okay so you're right so that french italian renaissance look we don't get to see it in very many things it is in the borgias series with holiday granger and i just think she looks beautiful in that i believe it's called a gamura gown and i love the sleeves you're talking about so like they would cut the fabric down the down the arm and then pull the undergarment through and it would kind of billow right and that's called a finestrella sleeve and yeah i love that it's like a princess the perfect princess look i adore it and we can't not mention danielle's glass slippers which were designed by salvatore ferragamo oh my gosh i love her glass slippers because you know it's just like a touch of glass on the heel and i love the the jewels and everything and I definitely kind of when I was looking for my wedding dress shoe I definitely kind of thought of this the shoe and actually oh my, my dress I just kind of had it in the back of my mind like tried to kind of get close to it in a way you know actually you're right and I didn't notice that but now I now I see it it had yeah. the same quality oh it's so pretty yeah and I remember at one point I had this little I just this just came to my mind thinking about the slipper I had this little calendar of old French shoes from the, the 16th century and they looked like this. Like, I think they did such a good job with the shoe. I mean, it still has probably a, a bit of a nineties touch to it, but it's beautiful it and is. real, very real looking. Like you could actually wear it. Definitely. And not worry about falling and <laughs> your legs. <laughs> which in the fairy tale, it's pretty gruesome. And wait, wait, what happens in the fairy tale? Like there's blood and from the slipper. Yeah. And oh, I think, okay. I think the stepsisters cut off their heels to fit the slipper. I can't remember. I haven't read it in a while, but yeah, it's quite <laughs> bloody. So anyway, <laughs> what if someone one day makes a Cinderella that's like really true to the fairy tale? I'm sure they will. I think people are going to keep on making Cinderella adaptations because it's such an integral story in our lives. Like the tale of a, a young woman who, you know, maybe hard on her luck and she goes out there and happens upon a prince charming and the rest is history happily ever after. Let me, let me now talk about some of the Cinderella adaptations. In 1914, there was a silent film starring Mary Pickford in 1934. Before Disney's Cinderella, animated Cinderella, there was a Betty Boop cartoon called Poor Cinderella. And I actually love this little animated short version of Cinderella. I've watched it recently again because it's on YouTube and people post on Instagram. I think it's so cute if you like Betty Boop. <laughs> and then Julie Andrews, as I said, in 1957 with that TV broadcast, 
the musical version. Oh, I forgot one. 1955, Leslie Caron, the French actress. She was in a movie called The Glass Slipper. Then we have Leslie Ann Warren in 1965 doing another musical. And then I have to mention for our international viewers, there is this adorable story called Three Wishes for Cinderella or Three Nuts for Cinderella. <laughs> and it's a Czechoslovakian film. And there are these countries that just, they always watch it every Christmas. It's always broadcast on TV each Christmas. I think it's Norway, Germany, Switzerland, Czechoslovakia. They all watch this Cinderella version at Christmas time. And I think it's so cute. What year did they make that? 1973. And it's on YouTube as well. Then we have 1976, Gemma Craven starred in The Slipper and the Rose. And this is not Rodgers and Hammerstein, but it's still a musical and it's very 70s aesthetic. And I actually really enjoyed this one. I think I watched it on Hulu recently or Amazon Prime. So definitely look up The Slipper and the Rose. And then we get into our 90s. So we have Brandy's version and Drew, Barry, Drew Barrymore's version. Early 2000s, think Hilary Duff, a Cinderella story. Can't not think about that growing up in the early 2000s. I mean, she's wearing a mask and this pretty white dress. Oh, and Chad Michael Murray. Oh, swoon. <laughs> then we have Anne Hathaway as Ella Enchanted in 2004 as well, based off a book. I mean, that's got a Cinderella, you know, storyline to it. And then we have to talk about 2015 Lily James. I love, love, love this movie. I think it's the best Disney live action so far. Oh, yes. I definitely agree. It's directed by Kenneth Branagh and costume designed by Sandy Powell, who is amazing. And, you know, this also it kind of has a historical kind of period drama element to it. Sandy Powell used her costumes are influenced by like different time periods. So I don't know if you know this, but um, when Kate Blanchett wears her costumes in the movie as Lady Tremaine, she's got kind of a 40s influence. And so do the stepsisters. They kind of have a 1940s feel to the costumes. But then you have Cinderella in her peasant wear that has like an older feel. So it's kind of mixing time periods and genres. And it's more of a fairy tale version than ever after. Not as historical, but it still feels, I don't know, a bit realistic. I don't know. What do you think about the 2015 Cinderella? I, I love it. The music, the costumes everything this you know the screenplay it just flows so easily and mm -hmm. it's always so inviting and I like in this one where you can see you get a glimpse of her mother the relationship with her mother played by Haley Atwell who I just love and and her father I mean that's always a sad part of the story Kate Blanchett is literally my favorite actress alive today I love her so much and she plays the stepmother so perfectly does yeah this one definitely makes you very sad for for little cinderella because i think they even say in the movie like she had a golden childhood and then you know after they passed away it was just like her happiness everything was just gone and it's just so sad yeah no it's so sad um i think that movie just really works and i enjoy watching it more than the other disney live actions and the dress that Lily James wears, it does the 1950 Disney film, animated film justice. It's apparently eight layers of blue 
turquoise and lavender silk and it's placed over some crinoline fabric and it's just apparently very light because it's flows you can see the movement but it looks i mean but it had to have been you know heavy for little lily james to wear on her small frame but it just looks light and beautiful and flowy i just oh. No, it's very beautiful. I do think that it should be mostly silver with a hint of blue undertone. And explain this further. Well, I mean, growing up watching the VHS version of Cinderella, the cartoon from what year was it? 1950. 1950. The dress is very obviously a beautiful, shiny, silvery blue with just a hint of blue. But apparently i'm the only one that sees that because everywhere else it is it is a light blue i think that you're not wrong i think that in the original version it's very silvery i think it's more silver you've always said kind of white right but over the years in all the movie posters and all the you know whenever someone would draw cinderella or 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 you know wears a costume like for halloween or cosplay or whatever it's always the light blue it's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I thought it, it seemed more magical to me as a child when it was like a, like a silvery white with a little bit of blue undertone, but. <laughs> and you're also, if I'm not mistaken, Kayla, you're a team make it blue for Princess Aurora's dress. I am. And this is also where my theory comes into play because I think that it should have been blue for Aurora. And then I think that they changed it because they wanted they already had cinderella and they changed her to blue even though it should be silver or white and so yeah i think aurora should be blue i think it just goes with her she's a bright winter um complexion i believe and so <laughs> and then lily james she's she would look stunning in a um silver i think okay <laughs> i love your theory i love your I'm kind of kidding, but at the same time, I no, I love it. I think that that just always, I always think about how you have this strong opinion of the, or strong memory, I should say, of the white and silver Cinderella dress. You're not wrong though. You're not. If you look back, Does, everyone's going. Did look anybody back. else notice this? Let us know. <laughs> I'm just curious. <laughs> um, so we've been talking a bit now about the 2015 Cinderella starring Lily James because it is just a beautiful adaptation. I love the message, have courage and be kind. I think that's, I just, I don't know. I love it. And, and I like how they got Richard Madden to play the prince in this. He's Prince Charming, but he has more of a personality. He's not just, you know, super one dimensional, like some other princes. And I think they have a good chemistry. I like how she calls him Kit which is actually a short nickname for Christopher. And in all the Rodgers and Hammerstein versions, it's Prince Christopher is the name of Prince Charming. So I think that's kind of a cute tie-in. I think Cinderella 2015 is a good one. Yeah, I'm looking at the prince right now and yeah, they did a good job. <laughs> I think they found the right guy. <laughs> and apparently Richard Madden and Lily James played Romeo and Juliet on the London stage. And I think that would have been really cool to see. Oh. So I think they knew they had chemistry. Oh, that's awesome. Didn't I, know that. You know all the cool little facts. <laughs> I'm on IMDb a lot. Um, so we didn't talk too much about the Brandy version, but 
we did mention how we grew up with that version and we loved the cast in that one. So you have Whitney Houston as the fairy godmother, Bernadette Peters, who's a Broadway star as the wicked stepmother, and Jason Alexander, who many of you may know from Seinfeld, and he's he's hilarious in this. Whoopi Goldberg, um, Victor Garber as the parents. I just, I don't know. I love that movie so much. Yeah, it's, I just love this movie. Um, I think one of our relatives gifted gifted it to us for Christmas on VHS, and we just never put it down after that. Oh, yeah. Actually, I was just watching the 1957 Julie Andrews version of Rogers and Hammerstein, and I feel like the one of the stepsisters, I don't remember which name she had in that version, but I feel like the one the actress who plays one of them in brand the brandy version was kind of emulating mm-hmm, her mm-hmm. like the snorting yeah she seemed a lot like her in her expression yeah yeah talked. do you think no so? i think you're right oh totally yeah yeah no i think you're right it's interesting the stepsisters are always portrayed a little differently too like in that rogers and hammerstein they're very funny one of them you know that's her eyelashes too much the other one kind of snorts when she laughs i don't know and sometimes they're just really really cruel yes so one of the cruel stepsisters is definitely marguerite from ever after she gives danielle that ultimatum your mother's dress and shoes or your father's book and even though danielle gives her her mother's shoes marguerite still throws the utopia book in the fire i mean that just tears up my heart every time it's terrible oh yes that scene is just so painful to watch and but it also reminds me of the scene in Little Women where Amy throws Joe's manuscript in the fire. And it's just kind of reminiscent of that. And it's just equally as bad. I mean, their whole lives were in that those books. And then they're just so carelessly thrown into the fire. It's terrible. Yeah, no, that's a good, that's a good point. Um, at least with Little Women, you know, Joe can rewrite her book and and we get to see that. But I always feel for Danielle because... That's like the one thing left she had to treasure after her father's death that he gifted to her. And it's just, she can never have that back. It's it's so cruel. Um, but then on the other side of it, Marguerite is kind of a comic relief, you know, character in this story. She's funny. She has a lot of, you know, one-liners too that are hilarious. Yeah, I love that scene where she's with uh, Prince Henry's mother, the queen, and and she, um, you know, she discovers something that upsets her and she kind of has a fit. And then when she comes back, she's just like, it must be. <laughs> <laughs> that is, yeah. It's just like that. Yeah, that part is so funny. That's very Marguerite. And in the 2015, we have Holiday Granger as Anastasia and Sophie McShira, down to Navi, as Drizella. I think this is just kind of a something in the back of my head. If Lily James could not have been Cinderella in the 2015. I think Holiday Granger could have done it. I love her. I'm a big fan of this actress. I think Lily James, she brings a lot like Drew Barrymore did. I think she brings a lot of relatability to the role because she's just your girl next door, you know, kind of vibe. Mm -hmm. So I think she did such a great job. Oh, I, I think Lily James just is such a princess. And, but yeah, like you said, a relatable princess. I love her voice. She has like a musical sweet quality to her voice and she sings in this one and earlier I was talking about the costume design and how it 
has some 1940 influence. And now that I think about her, her hair, when she's in her blue Cinderella dress is kind of got a 1940s girl next door kind of hairstyling vibe. So I think it's beautiful. And the costumes were nominated for an Oscar. And I think that was a good, um, a well-deserved nomination. Okay, so we've talked about all the different versions. We talked a bit about the different stepsisters. I think we should talk about our favorites. Kayla, which is your favorite Cinderella dress? Oh, the dress. Definitely Ever After, the Just Breathe dress. What about okay. you? Yeah, no, it's it's the Ever After <laughs> dress. <laughs> but I had to think for a second, just make sure um, I thought about them all. And then a close second would be the Lily James dress by Sandy Powell. Yeah. See, I'm looking at Brandy's version of the Cinderella dress, mm-hmm. and it's actually closer to how I picture it. The color, it's like a lighter mm-hmm. sil- silvery blue. Yeah, and in some yeah instances, it almost looks like a like a white, like almost a, a wedding dress kind of look. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Love it. And in the Slipper and the Rose from 1976, it's a beautiful pink gown. So that's kind of a, a step away from the normal. And some of the other ones, like Julie Andrews, I think was white and Leslie Ann Warren's was white. So they're on the right track for your way of thinking, Kayla. <laughs> there we go. Oh, um, and Hillary Duff's. Hillary Duff wears a white dress. There you go. See? So I have a question. If you could cast Cinderella, who would play the prince? Ooh, the prince. Who is a good prince charming? I like this question. Totally unprepared. Do you have one? I would cast Jacob Elordi. No. <laughs> no. How did I not see that coming? Kayla. No, I, I think he would do great. I really do. But you cast him in every role. <laughs> I mean, why not? <laughs> He's Australian. He's tall, dark, handsome. What more could you want? Oh, okay. Fine. Well, I have one for you. Harry Richardson. In Poldark, he plays Drake, Karn. And in the Gilded Age, he plays Larry Russell. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think he would be a great Prince Charming. Can I just say, looking up candid pictures of the actors from the Brandy's version <gasps> yes. of, of Rodgers and Hammerstein is iconic. It is. The one of them eating McDonald's. I love it. They're so cute. Didn't they, they like so have a reunion recently or something? I think so. It's very, it's still very sad about Winnie Houston and like her singing in that movie and every, you know, in every movie, every album. She just, ugh, her voice is amazing. It is. So I know they got Dan Stevens to play the Beast in the live action Beauty and the Beast with Emma Watson, but I think he would have made a good Prince Charming too. I mean, maybe he's getting a bit older, but. I don't know. I love Dan Stevens from Downton Abbey, Cousin Matthew. Okay, but before we go, I really want to talk about Ever After some more because I know a movie that our fans and our followers really love and we need to do it justice. Let's show. One thing we haven't yet mentioned is the music, which is just so beautiful and makes you feel like you're in a fairy tale. I I can hear it playing in my head. It's just so... It brings me to the movie. I love it so much. Oh my gosh. I love the music so much. Like when she's in the water and she's just kind of relaxing, like, oh, I love this music. 
Yeah, that's the scene that I think of too with the music. And then and then Leonardo da Vinci stands over her. Looks like rain. <laughs> <laughs> I think for some reason I never like listened to the music like alone by itself. And I'm going to now just I just didn't really realize like because when you're when you're in the movie, you're just kind of like immersed in the whole story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This music is stellar. It really is. It's it's a standout for sure. You know, talking about Ever After, we we talked a little bit about the beginning, how we have the brothers grin. And I also love how they're introduced to Jeanne Moreau, the French actress who plays the great, great granddaughter of Danielle. And that's how they set up the introduction of the story. At the end, when it's just the Prince Henry and, and Danielle, and they're kind of at the window and they're they're looking at each other. They're kind of holding hands. It's just the perfect fairy tale ending. So I love it as kind of like thinking about it from, from start to finish. Oh, it's true. All right. So thank you all for coming on this journey with us, discussing the many versions of Cinderella. We hope that you learned some fun facts and maybe we inspired you to watch an adaptation you hadn't watched before. And also I would like to let you know, we have something fun going on behind the scenes. If you want to follow us on Patreon, we give exclusive content out through that. You will actually get the videos of us talking. So if you want to kind of feel like you're in the same room with, with us while we're discussing these movies, then go ahead and subscribe to that. And you can find all that on our Instagram page. We have a link tree. Um, go ahead, check it out. Yep. That's at Swoonworthy podcast on Instagram and for extra content, I'll just go ahead and plug myself here. <laughs> Follow me on at Period Drama Style. All right. So thank you all and tune in next time.